With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoosology, we welcome back freelance basketball writer, the WNBA host for Buckets, Jordan Liggett's Robinson. Jordan covered the WNBA this past season and brings her perspective over what she observed. We also discuss what the future lies for the WNBA, her early impressions of the NBA, Athletes Unlimited, and a lot more. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Follow us on all social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Jordan Liggins Robinson. She is a freelance basketball writer, the WNBA host for Buckets. We welcome back Jordan Liggins Robinson back onto Hoopsology. How's it, Gordon Jordan? It's going great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back onto the show. Really appreciate it. And man, what a difference since your last appearance. I was listening to just our, our episode and we were talking about COVID and just like, what's what's the future of like basketball, like in terms of yes. our society? Because <laughs> it's a very Heavy. different time. Uh, compared very, to very yeah. different time. I also vividly remember that I was recording this in my closet because I just moved into my house. So it was like That's right. laundry. That's right piles behind me and I didn't know what was going on. So just a different time all right. around. <laughs> I have furniture now. I'm I have an office, different background. <laughs> nice. Well, we appreciate you you coming back on, onto the show with us and just chopping it up. Um I want to get your perspective on the WNBA. Um you had a chance to st- to cover the league and just one of your impressions overall on the Aces winning the title and also the ratings has continued to go up for the league as well. More attention, more attraction, you know, especially ever since 2020. What's kind of your impressions of the league and their momentum heading into 2023? It has been so fun to be a part of the momentum and be able to tell the story. Um, I feel like I've always had a passion for the WNBA, but I'm jumping in at the perfect time. Everybody else is being able to realize how great the WNBA is, how wonderful the players are. Um, The Aces winning the championship, I couldn't be more happy. It was written on the wall. It was a perfect storm for Asia Wilson to win MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and to win a championship all in one season. It kind of had to be the Aces, especially with Becky Hammond coming to the W for the first season. It it just had to be them. So I was counting on them from the jump, and I'm so happy they were able to finish it out. You mentioned Becky Hammond, and man, I was following her, especially through the season. How long do you think she stays in the WNBA with her success? I mean, eventually, a NBA team has to, you know, pick her up, don't you think? Like, I don't think she's she's has a long tenure within the WNBA just because of her coaching prowess. Do you see her sticking around for a long time? I do. I wow. see her okay. staying in the W. She feels like she found a home. This is the league that really made her who she was. She was able to 
um, be able to, you know, be the shooter, the Becky Hammond, the New York Liberty, like the San Antonio Silver Stars. All of those are are equivalent to Becky Hammond. And the NBA lost their chance. They tried to, you know, yep. say they were going to give her a job. That's true. And keep throwing her name in there. And I, I'm so proud of her to be like, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to go to a league where I'm appreciated and not just, you know, putting my name in the media and saying that I'm getting these interviews just to make them look better. But she is very much deserving of a head coaching job. And she was able to prove that in the WNBA and to be able to see how the team rallied around her and how Chelsea Gray was able to really, we already knew Chelsea Gray was a dog, but then to be able to have a coach like Becky Hammond to bring out the best in her, there's going to be other players in the league like, okay, how can I play for Becky Hammond? How can I have a coach like that who empowers me to be a better point guard, to be a better teammate, to be all of these things? And I don't think she's going anywhere. I think there's a reason why she's the highest paid coach in the WNBA. And now that's only going to open doors for other coaches to get the bigger bag because she kind of set that forefront of like, I am worth this. This is what I was getting paid on the men's side. I am just as good as a coach as anybody who can come in here and do this. So she proved it. And I'm so happy for her. Jordan, one last question for you before I pass it over to Matt. Where do you see the league in 2023? I listened to our previous interview. You're talking about just the wages of just the, the athletes involved with the WNBA. Do you see like progression on that front in terms of, I realized it, I don't know when the collective bargaining agreement is, but do you see progression in terms of that door opening in terms of getting increased wages just based on one, the popularity of the league increasing and two, which means that when the rights deals go up, I mean, that's eventually that trickles down to the players as well. So do you see any progression in terms of, you know, that the players increasing their wages as well as part of the WNBA? You know, um, we just had a new collective bargaining agreement. This was around 2020, which, you know, allowed Skylar Diggins-Smith to announce her pregnancy and to be able to still get her full salary now that she's sitting out this season pregnant. So really big moves there in the latest CBA. But when it comes to wages, you know, this offseason is a very, very important offseason in the WNBA because of the CBA and the latest one. They're kind of making the players choose between their overseas commitments and the WNBA. And what I mean by that is mm. there's going to be a fine. You're going to get penalized if you come late to training camp due to overseas commitments. And we already know that the FIBA and the WNBA schedules, they overlap. So players are, are going to have to choose, do I go play in the WNBA to my commitment that I've already made and stay in the States? Or do I make a lot more money, sometimes 10 times as much as my WNBA salary to play overseas and take the fine, take the penalty? Um, the following season, you're going to be penalized. You're going to have to sit out the whole year if you come late to training camp, I believe. Wow. So there's a lot of decisions that players are forced to make and they're thinking about it. I think that, um, and I know we're probably going to touch on this later, but Athletes Unlimited has really created an avenue for players to be able to make a little money 
be able to stay home in the, in the U.S. This season is going to kick off in Dallas. It's the perfect time in the offseason where they won't miss any time for the training camp. It aligns perfectly, but it's way less money than an overseas check. So players are kind of like, well, if we choose to stay and play for the WNBA, you have to pay us more because you're now telling us that we're losing out on money for our families so we don't get penalized. So now there's this friction between the league and FIBA and the friction between the players, and they're all going to have to make a decision. They can amend the CBA, but right now as it stands, there is kind of that decision that players are going to have to make. So we're going to see what players, what decision they make in the <laughs> offseason. Who's going to come, who's going to show up to training camp? Who's going to choose overseas commitments, especially if they're well into the championship and the playoffs? So it's going to be very, very interesting. So what is your opinion of Athletes Unlimited then? Because it, it almost seems like maybe a, a bargaining chip. The WNBA could say, hey, we have this league for you here. But at the same time, like you said, it's way less money. So do you think they might be used as like a negotiation ploy almost? Like in terms of they're stuck in the middle between the players and the WNBA themselves in terms of, you know, increasing wage i realize athletes unlimited it seems fantastic in terms of they have a yeah. tv deal with espn it's, it seems to structure it has a very promising future but do you think it could be kind of a negative in terms of the players within the league well i love athletes unlimited and being able to talk to the players they loved it too so many players played in that in the off season and had way more confidence coming into the next season. And it showed in statistics, it showed in body language, it showed in everything. And they were able to play with their peers, play with people that, you know, they're going to be playing with on a, on a weekly basis, daily basis in the WNBA. So it wasn't this drop off or this overseas compensation. It was W players. It also showed us just how many great players are out there that aren't on the WNBA, a WNBA team, don't have WNBA contracts, which made us all say, okay, we need to expand the league because I want to <laughs> see all of these people play. Um, I think that if the WNBA is smart, they would partner with Athlete Unlimited. They would not show you know, any bias against them. They should really work together because what they're doing is phenomenal. And Athletes Unlimited, if you're unaware, it has softball, it has volleyball, it has so many other yes. sports where they've been able to show that the system works and that the players enjoy it. it. It also puts the power back in the players because they have drafts every week and they're able to be team captains and coaches. So it's just a different format. And it doesn't compete with the W at all. It's all the same players. They just play Athletes Unlimited, then they go to training camp. So if I'm the WNBA, I'm promoting it. I'm saying, hey, you're in Dallas. You're right down the street. We have a team in Dallas. Like, it just seems to work. But you are getting a lot of players who have, you know, different endorsement deals where they can stay home. You're getting players who have already been in the WNBA for a long time, and they have some of that money coming from elsewhere in the off season, it doesn't leave a ton of room for rookies. It doesn't leave a ton of room for bubble players, players that aren't really starters, but they're not, you know, getting a ton of playing time. Where do those players 
get in the mix. They have to go get their money overseas or else they won't have a job. Like they won't have their livelihood. So it just sucks that we're having to ask these players to make that decision. I guess it's just, it should just be hoop and you get paid and you're a professional athlete and that's it. But it's all of these other, you know, elements that are involved. So again, if I'm the WNBA, I'm partnering with Athletes Unlimited because it's been so wonderful just after one year. Jordan, I I have to follow up on that CBA with that being like a a unique threat now overseas. You know, it's, it's always been this pull to get paid more overseas and certainly uh, nobody faults the players for going over there to be blunt. I I would choose the money myself in this situation. If, If I have to pick between playing in the WNBA or getting up to 10 times that amount, maybe more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess my question is, is this now more of an existential threat to the WNBA that it's going to be, um, you know, if you choose this, you're sitting out for the next season. Yeah. I, I think they have to look in the mirror and kind of realize that when you have someone like Brianna Stewart saying, uh, I'm not going to play. Mm. Okay. That's like <laughs> saying LeBron is not going to play in the NBA next season. Who's going to be in their commercials? Who's going to be, she just came out with the shoe. You yeah. know, there are, there's money at stake of market people that can uh, be marketed and, and the faces of the league. That is where they should take a step back and say, okay, this isn't actually working out. There's a lot of talks of like, okay, do we adjust the dates? Can we talk with FIBA so that we work together instead of working against so that it's not making the players choose? If it's a, if you move up FIBA a little bit, a couple months, there's no overlap. If you move back the WNBA a little bit, there's no overlap. So there has to be some type of working together. But yeah, I think once some big names come into play and they say, um, a hundred thousand or two million, hmm, right. <laughs> I'm going to pick the two million and the W has nothing to say for it. We're not going to blame them. We're going to go watch them in the EuroLeague women, you know, like that's what we have to do if we want to watch them play. Yeah. It seems like when push comes to sp- to shove, you know, money talks. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's, if you, if you had to guess higher likelihood that the WNBA kind of um, sort of bends and compromises to what the international league is doing or any, any sort of um, I guess, strength between one side in terms of leading that, um, that compromise. I mean, you bring up the great point of, you know, your major marquee athletes um, threatening not to play. Of course, that would drive some momentum. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are, we're seeing that. We're starting to see the WNBA figure out how can we bring more money in? And we are seeing them, you know, talk about expansion teams. There is a huge TV deal that's on the table in the next couple of years. There is advertising dollars that are like, wow, okay, ratings are going up. You know, 
all these athletes, all these very, very famous people are talking about the playoffs. Um, okay, I want my ads in front of those very famous people. So we're seeing the beginning of the ball rolling of the WNBA able to bring in more money to even compete with the overseas contracts. I think that's that's what it has to get. I don't expect in the near future, you know, in the next four years that the WNBA is going to be able to say, okay, here's a $2 million contract dollar for dollar for your overseas deal. Come play in the WNBA right now. They are betting that players are going to want to play in the WNBA for the prestige, for the honor, for the dream of playing in the best league in the world. Like you said, money talks. That's only going to get you so far. That's only going to get a little bit of the way they're starting to put the infrastructure in place to be able to say, okay, I can't offer you that 2 million, but I can offer you more. I can offer you, you know, stay here in the off season. This is what they started to do. I believe last season, they picked about three or four players. You know, we're going to pay you to stay in the off season to, to travel around and market the WNBA. So they're wanting to do more offerings like that to be able to give just another option. Hey, it's not your overseas contract, but you're here in the States. Here's some more money. You're not playing basketball. You're not putting anything, you know, wear and tear on your body. Stay. We'll pay you to do this. So I think that they're they're starting to build it. I think they're only going to be competitive near future. They're not going to be able to match those overseas contracts dollar for dollar. Jordan, I want to shift gears and just get your opinion of the NBA. This early impressions were extremely early into the season, but what observations have you made? Anything that you're excited for? Anything that's surprised you so far? I think I am shocked that the NBA is already here. <laughs> I've kind of been easing into it. I'll be honest. Normally, I'm like, yes, NBA. I've been easing into it. I can't believe it's I feel like the finals were just happening and we're already here again. But I know that my Lakers are struggling and shooting terribly. Um, I felt like even my grandmother knew that we needed shooters in the <laughs> offseason. And Rob Polinka <laughs> was like, nah, we don't need that. What are you talking about? <laughs> so being able to witness uh, what we already knew was going to happen, happen has been a little bit of a struggle to watch, um, but it's okay. We'll, we'll turn it around. Uh-oh, sorry if I glitched. Um, oh, you're good. We'll turn it around. So I, I've also been really impressed with the Trailblazers. They're off to a really great start. Um, Sixers doing Sixer things, uh, very, very typical there. I was wanting Joel Embiid to have that chip on his shoulder to be like, I didn't get the MVP, but then I, I already see him pouting and saying no to the media after the game. And I, I don't know if you're a Sixers fan, I don't know how you do it. I really, I really don't know. Um, but it's going to be a great season. I think the Warriors are still good. They got better somehow. Like, I don't know. What are, what are we doing? They're just too good. 
As a Lakers fan, I, I have to ask you, how big of a moment is it going to be when LeBron breaks that scoring title? I mean, that's on everyone's minds, of course, for the Lakers this year. An incredible achievement for LeBron, no doubt. Um, what's what's that moment going to be like in L.A.? It's going to be wild. I mean, I, I have been very... Um adamant about not being a super LeBron fan, especially as a super Kobe fan and just mm -hmm. a longtime Lakers fan. It's been an adjustment. Mm -hmm. But even in just these first couple games of the season, you have to be in awe that it is year 20. Like there's no way. Like he's not human. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> we know that he's going to stay around to play with Bronny. Like we already have this in our mind, but still it is, I I'm just in awe watching him play basketball. So to be able to play at this high level that you've been playing for 20 years and somehow you're great and in even better shape. And then to have the scoring title on top of that, you just kind of solidify you are great. You're one of the greats. You will go down. We, it's not really an argument anyway, but to be able to have that scoring title in LA with everything we just went through with Kobe, like I think we're going to be really excited and then we're going to go out and shoot like, oh, for 25 the next game. And every Laker <laughs> fan's going to forget about it and say, we need shooters. OK, good job, LeBron. <laughs> but we need another championship. Like, this is what we expect. <laughs> so who's who's to blame? I mean, it's kind of the blame game. I mean, it's LeBron, Westbrook, Palenka, Anthony Davis. I mean, we're... I think trying to put a positive spin. What's is there any way to improve on the situation for the rest of the season? Because it's not like they have a bunch of scrubs on their team. I mean, like we were just talking about. I mean, LeBron's still elite. Anthony Davis, when he's on the yeah. floor, still great. I think Westbrook. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, he's not. He's not terrible. He's one of, the, you know, at one point one of the best players in the league. I mean, yeah. isn't there some way to salvage the situation, or do you think it's kind of hopeless? I don't want to say hopeless. I feel like last season I was very positive and I was like, Russ is just in a slump. Like he is one of the best players in the world. He is Mr. Triple Double. He is a former MVP. He's going to climb out of this. What we always underestimate is the pressure of being a Los Angeles Laker, like being in LA under the bright lights, you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scoring title, like hanging above you. Like the Lakers legacy is excellence is winning is championships. You step into that staple center. I will only call it the staple center. And you see <laughs> all of those banners that is pressure. And I feel like Russ has always wanted to play in his hometown, but the pressure has gotten to him a little bit. And my heart breaks because you see him shooting. He doesn't think it's going in. Like he's shooting it. Everybody's gasping in the arena and he doesn't believe it's going in. And the thing about Russell Westbrook is his relentless confidence. Like that is Russell Westbrook. He is confident. He is going to mm -hmm. talk mess. He is going to bring the energy he will always always give you 200 on the court and that's why you can never fault russ for anything the effort 
is always going to be there. He is always going to give you everything he's got. And I feel like Darvin Ham came into the Lakers saying, okay, Russ, how about defense? Like, how about you help your team in another way? And just from the few games that I have watched, the defense has been better. The defense was atrocious last season. It was lack of effort. It Nobody knew where to be. Nobody knew what their role was. And I feel like Darvin Ham has come in and said, we are going to be a defensive team. Now, can we score the basketball? That will be still up in the air. But we're going to get some stops, and we're going to stop some teams. I love that. As a, as a Laker fan, you just want the effort. You want that high intensity. And I feel like Russ is going to bring that. I just want him to get that swagger back, get that confidence back. Even if it's not a jumper, I want you driving in the lane 50 times in a row. Like, I just – I want him to be his self again. We we know that he is better than this, and I don't um, want the Laker, the L.A., the hometown, the hometown pressure to get the best of him and win. Yeah, I'm with you. It's kind of like almost – I mean, it's early in the season, but I'm I'm so over just the, like – constant bombardment of russell westbrook like it's, it's just like fair. piling on at this point <laughs> yeah and what i always think about too and something i always say is you know first of all these players are humans first sure. they are human beings they have feelings and what if you keep messing up at work and somebody just kept coming to you and being like you are terrible are you how did you get this job why are you still here at this company like every single day that's going to affect you that's going to affect your performance as much as you try to tune it out it's going to affect you and one other reason why i'm not worried about westbrook at all is because his beautiful amazing wife is a therapist so i know they are doing some sessions and working on that mental work because it's it's no way that it can't bother you and can't get to you it, it's you're a human being it's gonna happen for sure um wanted to get your thoughts going back to las vegas and your thoughts specifically as you know we talk about the wnba expanding which i think all of us agree would be a positive thing for the league and there's enough talent out there for that to be supported uh wanted to get your thoughts on the nba side what do you think that would look like for an nba franchise to be there you know ideally maybe one in vegas and one back in seattle um but Vegas as a sports environment with your time spent, you know, covering the aces and, and seeing that area. Um, how do you think the NBA would fit in there? My favorite thing about the conversation around the NBA expanding into Las Vegas is that the WNBA was the blueprint, you know, typically it's mm. the reverse, but the WNBA was the blueprint. The aces were the blueprint to say, okay, these, these games are sold out. Like the fans are amazing. They love their aces in Las Vegas. So the NBA is saying, of course, okay, how can we monetize that? How can we capitalize on that? Because we see that there is fandom here. And I love that. I love that the aces winning a championship, selling out arenas, was the thought bubble for the NBA to say, okay, we need a team there now. We need to expand. We need to show these Vegas fans that 
there's more basketball out there. There's there's more money to be spent, basically. Um, so that's that's my favorite part about it because I'm a huge W fan. So to be able to say like, yeah, the Aces were here first, and they did so great that the NBA wanted to wanted in on it. <laughs> Jordan, um, before we let you go, uh, just want to kind of get your thoughts on the basketball media nowadays just with mm-hmm. you know it seems like there's so much content so much media for just fans to consume all the time and now we're kind of seeing the players giving their perspective on games on like a nightly basis this with Draymond's podcast CJ McCollum um even yeah. former players like JJ Redick um how do you think this is changing kind of the media narrative or do you see a future in terms of like the post-game press conference in terms of players not you know doing that and just opting just to go on their podcasts instead mm. and just telling their truth via there and not having to worry about, you know, having questions thrown at them. Who, you know what? <laughs> I don't know if we are far from that because I'm already looking into other jobs. <laughs> I know that the players are, are going to take over because why not? They have so much knowledge. And when you hear J.J. Redick talk, when you hear C.J. McCollum and Draymond talk about their experience, us from the outside as media can only talk about from the media perspective, from the outside, from the sidelines. These players were actually playing in those championship games, playing in those high-pressure moments, guarding the best players in the world. So why not? <laughs> I, I think it's so cool. And I think it is a new shift of where media is going. I think it's also really amazing how they're honing their craft. They're not just sitting in front of a microphone and talking and yeah. saying whatever, whatever comes out of their mouth. It's really, you know, professional and really a great conversation with other players just as somebody who interviews other players for a living when they're talking amongst each other it's different it's like okay you know what I've been through you know exactly how I got here we're on the same level I'm gonna tell you more stories I'm gonna open up a little more to you and that's just something us media we will never be able to break that I will never be in the NBA. I will never be in the WNBA. So I can't relate on just those bare bones level of being a professional athlete. And that's something that we as listeners are kind of in for a treat because it's these stories that you would never get. And it's really authentic and really raw. So I'm excited for it. The idea of no post game press conferences, that terrifies me a little bit. But um, as long as they're, you know, this power of their their voice in the best way possible, I don't have a problem with it. I think Draymond doing a documentary uh, after he punches someone in the face (laughs) is kind of wild. We're not going to let that fly, Draymond. A very 30 for 30 in your home documentary. (laughs) That was pretty crazy. I, I think if you asked an NBA player <laughs> 30 years ago, if he ever thought in his life that that would happen, that was wild. Um, <laughs> but I know that he is, you know, it's another form of income. It's something that he can totally do after he 
you know, doesn't lace up the sneakers anymore. He's good at it. People listen to him. And you have, you know, players like Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny, you know, weekly talking about their experiences and talking about their bonds that they've made in the NBA. And we watch it every single time because it's so good. So it's exciting. I I think I'll go into interior design when all the players <laughs> just take up my jobs. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be great. And I'm going to I'm expecting to see even more of it. I guess the uh, the downside and apologies, Jordan, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, oh, the the downside to that would be maybe a lack of um, just sort of more like critical questioning to these players, uh, mm. like, for example, that they might get in that post game press conference or even just just reflecting with a member of the media rather than with another player. I think um, I a hundred percent agree with you about the, the obvious positives there and the stories that you mm -hmm. bring up that we get and, and that sort of brotherhood or sisterhood between players. Um, do you think that, that not getting the critical questioning is enough of a downside to keep the other side of media still relevant and, and ever present sort of in this model? That's a really good point. Um, I, I personally, you know, I am a journalist. I am the person that asks those questions. So I feel like there's always going to be a need for that. And maybe it's it's not getting rid of all of us, but just keeping a select few for when that is is happening. I feel like there's there's two different sides, right? Like there is that critical questioning, but then there's also questions that are like, hey, you missed all your shots tonight. What are you going to do about it? I think <laughs> right. we can we can lose those because right. <laughs> players are going to be like, okay, I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. Like, what else do you want me to do? You know, we're not going to dwell on that. So the critical thinking questions, that's like, you know, what is your why? What is your purpose? Like, is basketball what you are going to do? Why did you make these decisions in your life? Like, those are some of the big questions that, just as a fan, even taking the media part after out of it, I would still want to know. Um, and I, I think that there is space for an, an NBA player, WNBA player to say, okay, I'm going to ask more thought provoking questions. We're not only going to talk about, you know, plane rides and travels and what it was like playing against Michael Jordan. Like we're going to actually dig deep and we're going to go into the big questions and the thought provoking questions I think that lane is wide open for a player to still do that and hone those skills. I also want to shout out all the producers that are working behind the scenes that are writing a lot of these questions and they are doing a lot of the editing and doing the, a lot of the research because it blows my mind to have a full-time job as a professional athlete and doing a full-time podcast. I can barely do that and I literally don't do anything else. So I can't imagine that. So the producers and the teams that they are building behind the scenes, I think are just as important and will always be important in the media landscape and how they're telling those stories. 
No, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that's all of media. Just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't watch late night talk shows or I listen to an actor on a podcast. They're going to be more transparent with just another actor just <laughs> compared to just, you know, a reporter or just some comedian where you're just watching a five minute interview with them. It's just you see more an authentic person, a more authentic uh, representation of, you know, what they're feeling at that time. Just compared yeah. to the normal mediums that we've been watching over the years. So. Definitely. It's just a, an, a space, a safe space. I feel like they feel safe. I think sometimes the media has gotten a bad rap has, you know, been trying to do gotcha journalism, a lot of people and trying to, um, corner players into saying the wrong thing where, you know, they know with another player that might not happen. Like we're on the same wavelength. We have, you know, the same trajectory into our careers. So I feel safer. And I think the media, myself included, we have to look at ourselves and say, how can we create more of those safer places? How can people look at us and say, okay, I, my story is safe with you. I I feel okay telling you all the details and telling you everything. Um, I know myself with my bucket show, I, you know, we're sitting on a couch, it's more laid back. We're not, you know, I'm not in a dress or there's no suits around. We're just talking. Now, I feel like I'm creating that safe space. And I have already just in the first season of doing that, have seen players just get way more comfortable. They're more relaxed. We're able to just you know, talk about anything. And me specifically, I'm way more interested in you as a person than you as a player. And I want to talk about off the court things and your family and, and everything else besides basketball. And we're not talking about shooting percentages on my show. Like let's talk person to person. So other media members, I think can take the, that page out of other players books and make sure that we're talking to players as people. Yeah, 100% agree. Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Can you let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and whatever projects you're working on for the rest of the year as well? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Jordan Liggins or Twitter at underscore Jordan Liggins. And go on YouTube, subscribe to Buckets, watch all the past interviews from the last season for the W. And for the rest of the season, I'm going to watch some NBA. I'm going to get ready for the next W season, watch some overseas basketball. There's a lot of basketball going on right now. So that's what I'll be doing. (laughs) Awesome, Jordan. Thank you very much. Thank you.